Senate, House, President, Vice President. Long ago, the nation lived together in harmony, but everything changed when the MAGA nation attacked. Hello, and welcome to Conflict Theory. Today, we're going to be talking about Donald Trump's impeachment. Alan's laughing, but I feel like there's no way he got that intro. I did. I did. I thought it was great. Oh, great. This story is kind of interesting in the story of impeachment. We already talked about the insurrection, so we're not going to talk too much about that again, except where it needs to be, maybe. But Trump had his Twitter taken away, so he didn't have a whole lot to say throughout these proceedings. And he refused to testify in any of the hearings for the impeachment. So he's he's kind of a non-actor in this. He does a few things, and we'll get to those with his legal team, but not a whole lot of Trump information to really delve into, which I'm kind of excited about. But Pelosi has some weird actions in this. So first thing she does, and all of this seemed very sensible at the time, she called for the invoking of the 25th Amendment, or else she will impeach. Well, the 25th Amendment didn't get invoked, so they impeached. Uh, This happened on February 13th, so shortly after the insurrection. January 13th, you Yes, yes, it was January 13th. Thank you. I wrote that down wrong. Then uh, someone to note here who we won't get to talk about much more later is Liz Cheney being a prominent Republican, really pushing for the impeachment too, stepping outside of party lines, what is a politically brave move on her part. Like she is likely to face some challenges in the future because of this. This wasn't like strategically good for her. So it's principled. So that's worth mentioning. But then we sort of get the Senate hearings. But the weird thing about this, and I think it is important, is that although they got everything done by January 13th. Nancy Pelosi didn't send over the articles until January 25th. So is the impeachment official until you send it to the Senate? I don't know about that. And that's going to be important later. But she just sat on these for a long time, which is weird because it was a snap impeachment. They seem like this has to be done and it has to be done right now. Then she just sits on the articles. So it's like snap slash delay, urgent slash dilly dally. So the weird political decisions are being made here. So coming up to the the Senate hearings on this, Trump's legal team fight was fired slash they quit because Trump was insisting that they argue voter fraud as a part of the case and the parties weren't having it. So last minute defense change for the president on that. And we'll get to some of those arguments. So here's what the cases look like. And we know that the defense team was rushed, but the prosecution, let me just say, I was not going to watch the impeachment. I didn't want to, I'm excited to be done with this, to move on, be interested in different things, yada, yada. But it was on the TV, and I had to watch a lot of it. I didn't watch all of it, but I watched a lot of it. And the Democrats were just amazing in this. Like their ability of storytelling, like their integration of technology with the TV and per. Uh, integrate the TV integration of it, going to video and slides very seamlessly, and their use of rhetoric, like their public speaking, like everything was just uh, below par, above par. Below par, what, what is golf? You want to be above or below par? It was good. It doesn't matter. It was good. They don't know golf either, apparently. <laughs> I do. I guess I was on mute. Yes, you, you definitely want to have a low score, but here you want to have a high score. So, um, you know, bars may, may, maybe not a, a great analogy. I would give them 85 speaker points if it were a debate tournament. And that's that's <laughs> a lot in my community. Alan, you would probably give them like a 29. No, no. I do. Well, uh, well, oh, 20 out of 30. Yeah. yeah. 
to 29 out of 30, but yeah, I'd probably give them more than 85 out of a hundred. <laughs> that, that's really good in, in our community. And then let's talk about the presentation of Donald Trump's team. One thing we can say about their performance is that they were there and they were not a cat. But that's, that's about where the nice things end there. All right, so on to the, sp- the specific arguments of the Democrats. It was pretty straightforward. This is what happened at the insurrection. This is why the president is culpable for those things. They do a really good job. They show hours of video. They use every one of their 16 hours. And it, it, it was just a solid case. And then on to the defense, they run, they, they run the free speech. Like he, he had the right to say these things. They, they had a whole section about sort of a whataboutism, like Democrats use words too. That's that. Okay. They, they hearken on the point that Donald Trump did use the word peacefully in his speech. And that is true. He did say the word peacefully that day. And then the argument that it was pre-planned. And after watching this speech live, like I'm, I, I start like talking with my dad who's watching it with me. And I was confused because I didn't know if he was only being impeached for the things he said on January 6th, or if you're allowed to use other stuff he's also said up until that point. And it seems like, yeah, they can. And they did. But the Trump defense was just kind of, let's pretend he can't. So it's interesting here is that the Democrats, even towards the Republicans, seem to be very convincing in this case, where they really lose it. The reason, the, the winning argument, you would say, for the, for the defense wasn't even really talked about in this section. It happened before. And that is where they argued whether or not the president or the Congress, the Senate, has constitutional standing to impeach a private citizen because he was a private citizen at that time. And they they argued about this the day before. They voted on it, and it did win. They did agree, like as a Senate, that they do have this authority, but not by a two-thirds margin. So this largely ends up being the winning argument, because even though they went through all this trial and everything, half of them didn't think they should be there. They didn't think they had the right to be doing what they were doing. So it was, it was just a big piece of political theater from the very start of the trial. So what ended up happening is the president did get acquitted on a 43 to 57 vote. So that means they were able to convince seven Republicans to vote for impeachment. And it's worth delving into a little bit of those Republicans. I won't dwell on it too much, but in order of bravery, and this, this is goes back to Liz Cheney, uh, like just, the bravest voter here. The first is Lisa Murkowski because she has another, she has to run again in Alaska in two years. So her seat is on the line. The Trump MAGA love and backlash could be very harmful it to her in her upcoming election. Also up there on the brave list is Mitt Romney. Not as urgent, but and he's and we we all knew Mitt Romney was going to vote in favor of impeachment. This is not a surprise. He's really making a brand for himself as being the anti-Trump Republican. So, not surprising, but he is breaking with party lines, which is notable. Then the rest of them, including Bill Cassidy, who is facing some political consequences. Uh, he got censured by uh, by his by the state Republican Party, but the they all either have like five years to recover. So they just got reelected. So they, they're thinking that this will not be hurting them in six years. Or they are retiring at the end. So they don't have to worry about another election ever again. So the takeaway here is that it is still Trump's party. Donald Trump controls the Republican Party. And anyone who ever wants to get elected in Trump's party needs to have the president's back or the former president's back. 
moving on, like even Mitch McConnell, who immediately after the uh, the the hearing, after the vote, said Donald Trump is guilty. He did the things he is being accused of. I just don't think we have jurisdiction to convict him. So, and that's the sentiment of a lot of Republicans. And a lot of Republicans won't say anything one way or the other on whether or not they think the president is guilty. They will only defend their decision that they don't think they have jurisdiction. So let's talk about the precedence of this going forward. What the Democrats are arguing, and it's it's a notable concern, is that this creates what is being called the January exception. That the sitting president can pretty much do whatever they want, any extent of abuse of power that they can muster, so long as they do it close enough to the end of their presidency that they would never be able to get a full impeachment process uh, through. That's the January exception. Okay, let's get to the other ones. The other one is... Uh, precedent of can you impeach a private citizen? Examples that were brought up in the trial were people who were just prevented from running for office because they didn't like their politics on things like the Vietnam War. But yeah, can you convict a private citizen? And then the third precedent point that comes up is have we lowered the bar for impeachment because we impeached the president twice? Could any president be impeached for small little things going into the future because the bar has been lowered so much. So just a quick two cents on each of those precedents is the January exception. Eh, that's concern. That's concerning. Like when Kamala Harris is finishing out Biden's term in, two, in uh, four years, like what could she accomplish in a January exception? That should be scary for a lot of people if that's sort of the new rule. As far as lower, uh, impeaching a private citizen, we'll, we'll talk more about that as a group, but that's just worth discussion. I don't feel super strongly about that. But on the idea of lowering the bar for impeachment, I'd say good. Like I'm pro lower the bar for impeachment. We're in a post-removal society. Like no president will ever get removed from office. We're too partisan. If you could get away with what Trump did, like we're just never going to impeach. It's not something this country is in, is any longer capable of doing. So all you can do is, you can't remove from office. So all you can do is sort of add those black tally marks of impeachment into their record and sort of promote some good faith. Like a world where Trump, Obama, and Bush had a black mark of impeachment on their record for war crimes. I think that's better. A little teeny tiny disincentive to commit war crimes. I'll take it. It's something. But that is the story of impeachment and my short take on it. Today I have with me Austin and Alan. They've both, uh, Austin's been on the program before. Alan, you know, is the usual guest. So let's get into their soapboxes and we'll start with Alan. Uh, gosh, what a uh, what an eventful uh, week and, and and Saturday it was huh, with all this mess. So uh, you know, um, so, so several weeks ago, I was on the record as being opposed to impeaching because I thought it would be a waste of time and 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 get us to the point that we uh, would be even further divided as a as a country than we currently are. And I, I think you know, I, I told you so would be appropriate if I uh, if I were to choose to say say that. I guess it's uh, you know, um, it, it was it was interesting theater, and it was uh, as you say, there was some really really great. Really great speeches by the, the the Democratic side, or the the House side, I should say, to be precise. The House prosecutors did an excellent job. Not so much on the defense side, particularly uh, uh, particularly the guy who uh, who opened for the defense. Um, uh, Bruce Castor did a particularly poor job with his uh, with with his opening statement, and has been. Um, soundly criticized for it but you know the end result was you know we're coming away potentially even more polarized and coming away mad, mad at each other you you, you mentioned um representative cassidy from uh, los, An los angeles from louisiana getting um uh censured unanimously by his state republican uh, executive committee and we've got um, uh, multiple others get, getting getting censured as well there was a headline on cnn today that um, the republicans are getting revenge 
on Republicans. So, um, you know, that's, I don't know. It, it, it caused a lot of strife and a lot of issues that, that um, I, I don't know if it was worth it in the end. I mean, yes, Trump's got the, the, the black mark of having, you know, the distinction of being the, the only person ever to be impeached twice. But, you know, he was acquitted both times. So he's also the only person to, uh, to have been acquitted twice, which is, you know, um, sort of indicating that it wasn't really worth it, right? So I don't know. It, it was fascinating theater. You know, he, he did have a, a brand new defense team only on the job a week or so because the other ones resigned. But you could have put uh, two, you know, moderately uh, smart college kids up there and um, they you would have had exactly the same vote outcome, right? So everybody went into that trial sitting in that Senate chamber with their minds already made up. Everybody came, came out of it already made up. And um, yeah, the, the, the cases presented by both sides, I think made zero difference whatsoever. We could have just gone to the vote directly on, on, you know, hour one of the hearings and it would have been exactly the same. So I'm glad to be Trump. I'm glad to be done with Trump and this, this whole episode. And hopefully we can move forward and start to improve our politics and get it up to some level of decorum and reasonableness and uh, treating people with respect and dignity in the, in the whole process. And, it's going to have to start with us down at the at, at the voter level because it's certainly not starting up at uh, Washington D.C. and tr- trickling down. So we've got to start it down here and have it trickle up. Hopefully. All right, and Austin. None of that stuff matters. Uh, I and millions of other Americans watched exactly zero minutes of the impeachment live. Uh, and it is quite telling that far and away, the most shared clip of this whole endeavor, the most viral soundbite, uh, the star, if you will, uh, was the supercut of Democrats calling for violence, using words like fight and take to the streets and don't give them peace and that sort of thing. Way more than any other clip. It's also telling that the defense day has an order of magnitude more views online than any day of the prosecution. Uh, This was an unbridled, uh, unmitigated win for Team Trump, Uh, and rightly so. Uh, I thought the prosecution had various inconsistencies in their uh, theories and whatnot, and the defense team did an excellent job. Uh, Their takes on things spoke to what people actually care about, which is not a truth or falseness of any particular claim, which is not a legalistic interpretation of who broke what rules and when no one cares about any of that stuff. That seven Republican senators, seven out of 50 broke from ranks is also fairly telling. That's 14% of Republicans, seven out of 50, which is approximately the percentage of Republicans uh, that don't like Trump. Uh, You make the note that this is absolutely the party of Trump. And that is spot on Uh, the so-called brave challengers will soon be either run out of the party uh, or, you know, the last remnants, if you will, of the GOP battling against an insurgent third party led by Team Trump. Uh, the, <laughs> to think that this is something other than uh, an element of political theater and, in my view, a gross miscalculation by the Democrats, uh, I think is a naive take on things, that the intricacies of the law is not a relevant part of impeachment. Impeachment is a political action, and the crimes accused in this instance are very, very hard to prove on a political level. Uh, everyone knows on some level that our political rhetoric is charged. Everyone knows that there are allusions to violence all the time. The question of what degree a politician is personally culpable for those things, for the actions of any sort of supporters that follow. Uh, their commands, their insinuations, their turns of phrase uh, is a question that I think most people on both sides of the aisle would rather sort of see be resolved in a way other than a retroactive enactment of justice, of justice in a criminal sense. That instead, I think most people would probably prefer to see the rhetoric simply toned down. Now, the Democrats in this the left, if you will, uh, is acting in a way that is very consistent with their general political motifs insofar as they care quite a bit about symbolic action at the direct expense of the material. Because I think one of the important points 
uh, of this whole impeachment saga that was left out of the opening summary here is that it is trading off with the immediate fulfillment of the promise of new stimulus checks, that it is trading off with the fulfillment of any other sort of democratic policy, uh, democratic policy, party policy enactment. Not only is it simply symbolic action, it is symbolic action that in the best case scenario creates a psychic victory for people already on the side of the Democrats. And in the worst case scenario, where they lose, creates a psychic victory for all the people they oppose. You should see the pro-Trump boards, the pro-Trump communities. It is a party. It is a celebration. This is the most innocent man in history to be cleared of all charges, exonerated twice. That is the new narrative. right? That is the new reality. I can't blame him for thinking that. I think that's the rational conclusion to draw from repeated failed attempts to impeach. That this is some you know, watershed turning moment seems counterintuitive to me. If anything, I think it is a turning point for every pro-Trump faction to congratulate themselves, to know that they are on the side of righteousness and justice. Why else would they be the ones that prevail in the courts? Why else would they be the ones who continually, you know, never get tired of winning? Why is it, from their perspective, that we spend months on an impeachment and not a single day in Congress hearing about the rampant voter fraud, the stolen election? This fuels that narrative that there is a concerted effort to keep them and their ideas down. Regardless of the truth, regardless of what will actually happen, regardless of how we know the votes are going to play out, if the Democrats want to ever get more than their current base, uh, which I think they do need to win elections, uh, they're not doing a good job of it so far. All right. So we're going to take a short break here and we'll see you all in just a few. Welcome back. This is the best way, I think, to celebrate President's Day. Discussion of impeachment. I I wouldn't want to spend my President's Day any other way. This whole week has been just a great week for Catholics, really. Like, first we had St. Valentine's Day. Then we have President's Day. President's Catholic now. Tomorrow's Mardi Gras. (laughs) <laughs> Which is not exactly Catholic. <laughs> Mardi Gras is so Catholic. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of, uh, sort of. Uh, we're we're not going to be religious today, so that we can be religious tomorrow. In itself, it's not Catholic. <laughs> Celebration I, is I don't Catholic. Think the clergy would have heard. <laughs> it's Fat Tuesday. It's it's, uh, it's scheduled based on a religious calendar. I'll grant you that much, but otherwise, no, it is not a religious day at all. But but hey, Ash Wednesday counts, even if Fat Tuesday doesn't. So uh, so yeah, I guess uh, given the fact that you're uh, you're pointing out that Biden is devoutly Catholic, it's um it's a uh, it's a good week for Catholics. I feel like you're not giving Catholics enough credit. Catholics party. <laughs> The clergy oh, slide with them partying. Catholics as individuals party. I get it. That's fine. I, I, more power to them, but that doesn't make it a religious holiday. <laughs> they party and then they go confess. Exactly. Well, they gotta be at church in the morning. Yeah. Put some ashes on their forehead. I I really liked that tradition as a kid. Like the yeah, Ash Wednesday cool. ashes on it. It's like yep. I just get a flex that I'm going to heaven and you're not. Like that was. <laughs> That was, I look forward to that every uh, Ash Wednesday because there's no other time where I'm really just flexing yeah. on, you know, my eternal salvation. Yeah. Yep. No, even as a Protestant, I would go do the Ash Wednesday thing on occasion. I haven't in several years, but no, I think it's a cool, a, a cool tradition. And Protestants um, do that too? Some do, but I actually uh, went to a Catholic church for it a couple of times. You poser. <laughs> I'm not a poser. <laughs> All right. So, right. Insurrection leading to impeachment. Let's, <laughs> let's let's get into that. So, I should have picked an order of these things to chat about, but here here's where I, I'd like to start. That 
Austin was claiming that the biggest shared clip was Democrats using the word fight. Like, I did see that clip, but I didn't think it was all that important or... It was fire. Like, like yeah, de- Democrats used the word fight before. Well, I mean, so, I mean, the the that was part of the the impeachment, right? Was that he was using, you know, violent words and encouraging people to violence. And so here's a video with the Democrats saying, fight, 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 fight. Right. So I thought it was a, it was a legitimate defense tactic and, you know, language means other things. The one that I thought was hilarious while we were speaking about religious things is there was a tweet where somebody misspelled cavalry as Calvary. And so uh, the uh, the defense attorney made uh, made a point of that and said, you know, uh, we weren't uh, arguing for military to show up. We were arguing for the the love and peace of Jesus Christ to show up. It's Calvary, not cavalry, um, which, uh, you know, was a, a particularly bad argument because, you know, no nobody believed that that person actually meant cavalry in the religious sense. They definitely meant cavalry. They just don't know how to spell. But, uh, you know, it was a it was a unique argument by uh, by a defense team that was struggling to come up with uh, with with any amount of argumentation at all. You know, they they lasted what less than three hours, not included repeating a long video. So um, yeah, but I guess on like the distinction of that argument, well, I think it's just a weird whataboutism to bring up because like the Democrats are not on trial. Like there wasn't an Antifa insurrection of the Capitol that just didn't happen on January 6th. So you can say things that would lead to insurrection, but you can't, it's not bad unless it actually does. Most people find it unjust when they are pulled over for speeding when everyone else is speeding too. (laughs) Why did you pick me? Yes, you're, you're, you're correct about that. So yeah, so that, that's an excellent analogy, Justin, really. I don't think that's a great analogy. Like this is this is the case where people feel like it's unjust when they're pulled over for drunk driving, but this is a case where that drunk driving led to an accident. Like there was the reason we st- don't want people drunk driving that occurred here. Well, you already had your insurrection episode, so I won't go too deep on that. But uh, in the in Trump land, in my view, uh, I don't think there was an insurrection. I don't think this accident is anywhere near the uh, it's a fender bender, if you will, to use the analogy. Okay, and I I get that we shouldn't play it up as something bigger than it was, and we talked about that on this show. But here's the here's my main rub with this point. And this is something that the, the Democrats did mention, but it was very quick and it was very subtle because this is not an argument that you know, Democrats can make and that it's, it matters who you're talking to. Like if Bernie Sanders said, uh, carry your arms or, or, or a call to arms, if he used those terms, like very, very militant language, majority of his supporters would still interpret it figuratively. But when Trump tells the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, and he says he doesn't know David Duke, what he's telling the the Jews will not replace us guys, that they were that they were that they're good people. When he's calling Nancy Pelosi, or not not he doesn't say Nancy Pelosi, when he's calling them. He, knows, he never specifies who when he says they are evil. We're supposed to fill in who they is when he says that, but they are evil. They stole this election. You won't have a country anymore if you don't stop this. Like, sure. it matters who you're talking to. He's talking to people who's going who are going to interpret that very literally. Why, why would you not interpret that literally? That all sounds true to me. I mean, I, I would have voted for impeachment if I were there, but but I wish we wouldn't have bothered with the whole impeachment thing. <laughs> but, you know, so uh, Austin, I think you, you you made the point that uh, uh, 14% of Republican senators voted for impeachment, and that's about the number of, of Republicans that that uh, don't like Trump. Well, it turns out uh, it was uh, David Gergen, I believe, on CNN over the weekend that said, you know, the most recent poll that he was aware of showed that 57% of Americans were in favor of impeachment. 
lo and behold, 57% of senators <laughs> voted for impeachment. So, um, so that says something for a representative of democracy that you know may, maybe it does work. Right? <laughs> that uh, that that the, these percentages are uh, are are. Are, are so close to, uh, to, to, to what the populace as a whole wanted. So yeah, you know, uh, the majority of people wanted impeachment, the majority of senators voted for it, but you need that super majority. And, um, you know, obviously we were uh, never gonna really have a reasonable chance at that. There was some, some talk last week that maybe uh, some Republican senators would just no show for the vote because it's, you know, 67% of those who vote and they would no show. So they didn't have to go on the record as, as uh, impeaching him and yet. You know, would make it easier to get to that 67% threshold, but but no, nope, all, all 100 showed up and, and voted, and and there were there were no no shows. But I, I want to go back to that in just a second. Quick pin. I just wanted to hear from Austin, and you can answer this too, Alan. Doesn't matter who you're talking to, like talking to right wing militias. I say is different than talking to hippies. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> No, not not in the least, right? Because uh, this ch- charge of incitement uh, is itself farcical. Uh, the idea that words could enact some sort of material change in the world fundamentally misunderstands the nature of speech and persuasion. Well, uh, I think it's you. I mean, clear, clear, clearly words <laughs> clearly words affect that. I mean, you don't have to go any farther than you know some some of the major orders of the world. Be be, be that Reagan or be that uh, uh, Hitler or be that whoever. Uh, you know, words have a major impact on on actions all over the place. It's, it's called persuasion. Uh, that there, there's million billions of dollars spent every day or, or, or every year at Madison Avenue, trying to influence people's behavior with uh, with, with with words. They 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 clearly matter. You're getting and, me on a tangent because I don't think advertising works. Well, you would be uh, you'd be hard hard pressed to find any statistics to uh, to, to to back that statement up. Also, but, um, statistics is real. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, words words obviously have uh, a whole lot of impact on on people's actions, and the the audience has a whole lot to, to do with it. Also, so you know, you tell M- Mother Teresa to do something, you're going to get a different response out of that than than, than you will a uh, you know uh, a, a right right wing. Um, uh, white supremacist yeah and I I, this sort of presupposes the goodness of people on the political left and the badness of people on the political right well so uh, all right so i could turn tur- turn that around and say um uh who's a who, who's a major figure on the right well mother Teresa's on the right really in 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 many regards and uh and you say say that to a uh, uh black lives matter pr- pr- protester you know so same so same thing that doesn't matter the the, the, the political direction Cancel Mother Teresa. <laughs> but I, this is why I disagree with you, Austin. To say it, it can't do that. Like, we can test that theory. And we've seen rhetoric that has led to violent movements before. That's usually how it starts. And when, when Trump was telling the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by, everybody, everybody was saying what... What is he planning? Even the Proud Boys were saying he's planning something. We got to get ready for something. Like that is that's inciting violence. What would you do if you thought Trump stole the election? Uh, me personally, I'd probably do a whole podcast episode on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, you know, Austin, you, you, you mentioned we, we, we covered that ground in a, in, in a, a prior uh, episode. And, you know, it's, I, I agree, right? If I actually thought that the election was stolen, I would, I would feel pretty good about what the folks did on January 6th. Cause you know, uh, I mean, not, it's, it's not good to kill people. So, you know, I, I had a list of exceptions of, of activity that they did that I didn't think was, uh, was acceptable, but those, you know, there's probably 15 to 20 people responsible for those actions. The other thousand, however many thousand people there were, Operating within what I would say was uh, reasonable grounds, if if I literally legitimately thought that the election was uh, was stolen. And and we talked a little bit about this too, and I, I think it is slightly different than because I don't think you can just say like, well, it's Trump versus Biden. It's not Trump versus Biden. It's Trump versus Biden. Like tone matters. And the idea that, like, you're going to go to war to stop Biden, 
like the most flaccid politician the Democrats could ever offer. Like it's, it's not really comparable. Like Bernie, if it was Bernie versus Trump, like though that's a high stakes election. I didn't see this one as being that high of stakes. But we can move move on to the fourteen uh, percent idea. Okay. And I, I think, like you both bring up good points that, yeah, this is pretty much what the American people wanted. This is what was expected. But like going into the particulars of who voted, how they voted, and why they voted the way they did, the only Republicans that could, I'm going to use the word could vote to impeach Trump, were the ones who either had nothing to lose, they're retiring, or the ones who have six years to recover from this vote. It's not so much representative as it seems like Trump is holding the Republican Party hostage. And uh, definitely I want to get Austin's take on that, because you might agree that this is a hostage scenario. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's less a hostage scenario and more just a war that Trump won. Like, it's uh, I would only describe it as a hostage situation if the majority of the voters were not also on his side, but they unequivocally are. The majority of Republican voters. Okay. Of, of, of his voters, yeah, and that's, I don't know, it's one of the things that's, that's kind of kind of sad to me, really, um, right? Because um, um, the... It's just sad to me that, that that people would follow somebody so so loyally and so um, so uh, um, reflexively, I guess you might say. And I, it, I don't know. That's one of the things that bothers me about this that the, the Solstice situation, and one of the reasons I keep arguing that we need to bring the level of discourse back up to a a more reasonable and and respectful level, because it certainly hasn't been there the last several years. It is interesting that you mentioned um, um, Senator Murkowski, however, up in Alaska. Curious to see how her election goes in a couple of years. Remember back in 2010, she lost the Republican primary and ended up winning on a write-in campaign, right? So, so uh, Alaska is uh, weird. Man. She has a lot of appeal on the Democratic side, obviously, when she can she can lose the Republican primary and still win on a write-in campaign against you know that that candidate plus the Democratic candidate and herself. So uh, yeah, so a challenger from the right may not be uh, much of a uh, much of a problem for for Ms. Murkowski. She certainly has dealt with that before. Um, and it'd be curious to see. And then, you know, um, Liz Cheney obviously is uh, from the state that, uh, you know, had the highest percentage of people that voted for Trump. I think Wyoming had 70% of its population vote for Trump in, in, in November. So, um, you know, she's certainly got no fear from the Democratic side. The question is, will she get a challenger from the right now that she has uh, been, been so active uh, to support this impeachment? I, I guess we'll, 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 we'll see what happens with that. It is. It's going to be curious to me if this has any, you know, long tails out even two years. You know, our our uh, attention span in this country and and you know in the in the world generally has gotten so short. <laughs> it's really a what have you done for me lately? And lately means in the last fifteen minutes, frequently, right? So, even two years is an eternity in an American attention span. And well, I guess we'll see if this has tails that go that long or not. And I might have given Murkowski a little too much credit. And that's because it fits into my narrative of brave Republican women, which may not be super true, but it is a narrative that I'll push a little bit because it's kind of true. Liz Cheney's pretty brave. Murkowski, she gets she might end up with a free pass on this because Alaska is now doing rank choice voting. So it even if they send up a Trumper against against Murkowski, she could still end up pretty lucky because she'll end up with some, she'll end up being the second choice of all the Republicans and all the Democrats. That's fair. But Liz, Liz is brave and so is Romney. But Romney doesn't fit into my brave Republican women narrative either. So, <laughs> Well, so, I mean, he's, he's uh, very brave to the extent that, that he's now voted twice, right? To 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 impeach the only the only person to do that. But I guess the the, the second time it was easy. But yeah, he, he he didn't really have anything to risk this time because he was already uh, on on record opposing 
Trump. And frankly, I think everybody in, in, in Utah lo loves him. Uh, chances of him getting a Republican challenger, I would suspect, are pretty small because, you know, I mean, he tried to run for president and, you know, he's he's got a lot of esteem there. Mormon, that helps yeah. a lot in, in Utah. So I... Here's a. I wanted to pose a counter argument to something Austin said, and I just want to know what you think of it. So, you you end your idea with there was this. There's this trade off for other good things the Democrats could be accomplishing, other legislative goals that they could be accomplishing, and instead they just decide to exonerate Trump once more. But I don't know that they had much of a choice. Like, I'll agree that Trump won on this, but this is seems more like an intentional thing. He lost the election, so now he has to do something completely absurd to grab attention back on him, and he can only win in that scenario. He put, gave himself a win-win scenario. Either the insurrection works and he's president still, or the insurrection doesn't work and the first several weeks of Biden's administration is going to have to be talking about Trump still. It keeps him relevant. It delays the Democrats from doing what they want to do. Like, yeah, this is what Trump should have done, but the Democrats didn't have a choice. You can't be insurrected and then be like, well, and then, yeah, people attacked the Capitol, three people died, and we didn't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's um, it was sort of a, a lose lose for the for for the de Democrats on this, and um, yeah, I wish they would have just uh, spent their time um, trying to get a COVID relief bill and get get some things going from a legislative perspective rather than spending the week or two uh, on this. But alas, here here we are, and um, we have to we have to move forward. You know, I, I did want to comment on Mitch McConnell's speech after the after the vote. He had a uh, rather scathing speech. Um, I flipped over to Fox News after it to see what their reaction was, and they were all sort of uh, sort of shocked. I could tell at the uh, at the neg negativity that that Mitch McConnell expressed toward toward Trump. But he said, "quote There can be no doubt, none, that Trump is practically and morally responsible for inciting the actions of that day. People who stormed the Capitol believed that they were acting at the behest of the president." Right, and he he went on from there. Right, so it's uh, uh, that that was interesting to me, and he spent a whole lot of time talking about how terrible Trump had been, and then you know basically said that you know well we don't have the right to uh, to impeach somebody who's out of office, and so he um, he voted um, for uh, for acquittal based on that technicality essentially. So you know the the House had, or excuse me the Senate has three times voted that that they could that they could impeach somebody. On on, uh, on on these grounds, even though they were out of office uh, back in the 18th century, 19th century, and now in the 21st century, they've they've had that vote. But in, in all three cases, the impeachment didn't actually happen. Uh, the first one was a, uh, a Senator Blount back in uh, the 1790s, and he'd already been expelled from the Senate, and so they decided to withdraw the uh, impeachment um, since he'd already been expelled. And then another guy was uh, the Secretary of War in the 1870s, a guy by Belknap, and um, he didn't end up getting impeached either. So we uh, we can, can consistently vote that we that we can impeach them. Oh, and and one of the one of the arguments that many of the people who voted against impeachment of Belknap was that they didn't really feel like they had a a, a legal right to, to to do it. So we're we're consistent about voting that we can impeach, and then failing to actually impeach when. <laughs> When we do so. So we're following precedent very well in that regard. And put a pit in that. I want to put the original question back to Austin real quick. I, what you're talking about, Alan, I, that's next. That's the next and really last thing I want to talk about. Okay. But firstly, the idea of did the Democrats have a choice or did Trump just give him a win-win scenario using the January exception? Well, you know, of course they have a choice. No one forced them to bring these uh, charges. Uh, the, it is, you know, sort of ironic in a history echoing itself way that Trump won in 2016 on a locker up platform going after his political opponents. Uh, and yet it is the Democratic victory that results in immediately going after political opponents. Uh, the 
that there is some uh, audience that watches the arguments unfold and makes some logical conclusion about how they interact with one another and what precedent matters, I think is simply misunderstanding the way that people, what people find salient about political news. Uh, I don't think that there is a soul watching this impeachment trial with an undecided mindset who is looking to go in and determine, uh, well, let me adjudicate whether or not this really is constitutional or not. Uh, I think those people are very few and far between. Uh, rather, it's a game of trying to get things uh, to go you know, viral, to get things into someone's feed who otherwise would not see it, and to control the sort of meta-narrative uh, coming out about the impeachment. Uh, and I think that all of the Trump side arguments, all the Trump side presentations were geared toward that political reality, whereas virtually none of the Democratic sides were, which speaks to, I think, their misunderstanding of American political relevance. Uh, I think they, they won largely on everyone sort of hating Trump and, and a large wave of, of Trump hate rather than a wave of support for their own ability to produce uh, effective results. Um, and who knows, you know, maybe that will be, uh, that'll, maybe my, my opinions will be disproven in a very effective Biden term uh, enacting policy legislation. Um, but, you know, I'm not getting my hopes up. And I, I mean, you convinced me on like the idea that impeachment is political, not legal, but you still have to engage like within the political theater, you have to engage in the law. Like, I have no doubt in my mind, even after all this, even though a majority of, not a majority, yeah, it was a majority of Republicans uh, voted on this constitutional idea that you can't impeach a, a private citizen. There's no doubt in my mind that if they start a Biden impeachment and he dies, they'll want to finish the job. There's no doubt in my mind that, that Republicans will be fighting to finish the job. The hypocrisy won't matter at all. They will impeach a dead president. Absolutely. I hope I don't have to uh, be proven right on that one. But they still have to engage in the legalese of it. Uh, but what were you going to say, Alan? No, I, no I, I was I was just agreeing with you, basically. So it's, um, I don't know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's time for us to move on and um, try to find some ways to come together. Well, being here in Colorado, I did did want to talk about, you know, win, winners and losers, because I think one of the clear winners out of all of this was uh, Colorado Representative Joe Neguse. He's, he's not my congressman, but he's for, from this state. And wow, what a great job he did. Uh, just a fabulous presentation, really nailed it, got a ton of positive press. Uh, he really did a lot for um, for his um, political future. I think both within the Democratic Party, in in the House of Representatives, as well as you know here here in Colorado. And the other woman who really impressed me was the 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 Virgin Islands delegate Stacy Plankett, or Plaskett, excuse me. Um, she did a really great job too. And she's not even you know an official House of Representatives member because of course Virgin Islands isn't a state. Mm -hmm. But you know they get their delegate who can go in and kind of lobby on their behalf and talk to other House House members and speak from the floor and all of that. And uh, she got appointed to be a, a, a you know House manager of the impeachment, and she did a fabulous job too. I was really really impressed with her. So um, I think those were a couple of the big winners out of all of this. Um, and you know I already mentioned that Bruce Castor, one of the the defense lawyers, is. Is a big loser out of this. He did a, a particularly bad, bad opening statement. I thought uh, got got pretty universally hammered in the in the press. Apparently, Trump was screaming at the TV screen and disgusted at what he had to say. And um, yeah, he he, um, he didn't do so well. But but otherwise, you know, there there, there were some individual winners. Even if um, I think kind of the country as a whole and um, some individuals were clear losers. And just just as a final retort to Austin, but then we'll give you the last words because Austin definitely said another win for Trump. I do want to point out, he still lost the election. He still got impeached twice. He still got kicked off Twitter and still hasn't made a public appearance since leaving office. So I'd say loser Donald still. Majority of the country wanted him impeached. Majority of Senate wanted him impeached. I'm feeling pretty good about the future. But Austin, the last word is yours. Did he lose the election? 
Really? Yes. <laughs> we said he'd have the last word. No, this 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 matters quite you a bit. You can talk not about it. I think you have time. Not because I think that there was any sort of you know widespread voter fraud, but because if you do believe that, your whole sort of premise here falls apart. Right? Uh, the to think that there's sort of a going back to a normal now that this 40% of the country's voters will sort of accept, oh, I guess we really did lose after all. Uh, I, I don't think that that's how things are going to play out. Uh, I put at least a 60%, 70% chance that someone with the last name Trump is on the 2024 presidential ticket uh, and that we're only just getting started. Do you mean to ask this question or was it a rhetorical question? What question? Did he lose the election? Well, yeah, no, that's the question that people ask themselves. Right? Uh, it is quite easy to think uh, that there is something fishy going on. It wouldn't be the first time in American history that an election has been stolen. Uh, 1876 was blatantly stolen. So it was 1960. So it was 2000. Oh, none uh, of that's true. <laughs> not, not, not a single one of that's true. But, but, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, exactly. This is, what I, this is the, the sort of the point, right? Uh, if you live in a different sort of uh, world accumulating uh, historical facts and truths from your various interactions with other people that lead you to the conclusion that the election was stolen, that's not something you're dissuaded of simply by the passage of time. Right? Uh, if anything, the passage of time and the lack of any sort of widespread federal Mueller-level investigation into the, uh, the, into the integrity of the election – only feeds that fire, right? Uh, I don't think that fire is going away. Uh, any, any, at least in my experience, right? That's all this is, is my experience interacting with largely online sort of people. The fire of Trumpism is not on the, the decline. It is on the rise. And he did get more votes this time around. So that there's the argument for that. And I think if it was a close election, like reasonable people would be asking this, but the idea that some people at the end of any election are going to say this, say it was stolen. Like that's normal. That always, always happens. Every election happened with Clinton happened with Gore happened. And Gore, it might've been true happened with Bush. Like there's always someone saying that the election was stolen, but typically in American politics, you don't give credence to that idea. Like, you don't feed that flame. Trump is the first to feed that flame. And this is what happens. But now the real last word is yours. <laughs> by, by, this, by this being what happens, you mean like the sort of failed insurrection attempt? Yeah. Okay. That doesn't seem too bad to me. Okay. Fair enough. We're going into Lent. I hope... That, yeah, by the time you have this, you will have given something up. You might have ashes on your forehead. Apparently, you don't even have to be Catholic. You can just go into the church and get ashes. Absolutely. Yeah, I recommend that. I recommend that for, for all giving of Giving away our free ash. Free ash. As opposed to hash. But thank you very much to my guests. You all are very special, and I love you very much. Yeah.